0: You, 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 you know the the you, you know the the S E A. a, I be, I be a,
1: a Hello and welcome to episode 279 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton.
0: And I'm Tristan Carcino.
1: And we are coming to you in different locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champions.
0: And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 and 1-0 and oh, Seattle Seahawks, Super Bowl 48 champion, and 1-0 and oh, Seattle Seahawks?
1: You know, Super Bowl 48 finalist, I guess. Uh, the, the Colts in their stadium, Lucas Oil Stadium, i would never seen this before. Also, I've never been to an NFL stadium besides the Seahawks, but I've been to other sporting arenas. You've uh, been to the Niners Stadium. You just I guess, yes, that's a... true. That's true. Yeah, that was the first Seahawks road game. Uh, they list... AFC finalist in the year they play years they played in the AFC Championship game, but lost. Never seen that banner
0: before. AFC finalist. Wow. Yeah.
1: Really? I know. Really some we should, banner we should inflation. Raise one of those
0: banners. Oh no. Maybe some statues for it. Oh dear. AL <laughs> finalist. Hang the banner. Build
1: the statue. Look, we should put up the DVOA champion banners. <laughs> For real? Well, the Seahawks did beat the Indianapolis Colts. I was there. We're going to talk all about it. We're going to talk about the game that happened the previous night that I was also at oh, in awesome. Ann Arbor. That was a that was a game happened. Two teams competed at football uh, to their best of their abilities. Uh, but well, I don't really have much in the way of toast this week. There's the only
0: one one important toast.
1: What's that, that I do have in the list? Yes. To Shane
0: Waldron. Oh my God.
1: We haven't to talked about.
0: Any day uh, to Shane Waldron.
1: I have in here this week's beer is whatever I bought that's in the fridge. And I'm going with the a low-cal, low-cal hazy pale ale from our friends at Deschutes Brewing. Embrace the impossible with only 100 calories, 4 grams of carbs, 4% alcohol by volume, and a crisp light finish. This full-flavored, yet crushable, citrusy, hazy pale ale will make you say wowza. And wow. so will the Seahawks offense.
0: In, in a week when something great from Seattle traveled to the Midwest and dominated from there now, I, of course, had to drink a cool Frosty Rainier.
1: Uh, I did I did naturally find the Rainier of Chicago, I'm, as I'm sure you have in the past, but had not chronicled. Yeah, old style. Yeah.
0: God, such a good name. Old style. Come on.
1: What style is it? Old style?
0: Old style. Jesus Christ. It's just like, that has to be the Rainier Chicago old style.
1: Had to down one of those before the Cubs game at Wrigley Field on Friday. Tall boy? Uh, No, I think it was only a 12-ounce can.
0: Wow. A shame. Crime against humanity. I am drinking a 12-ounce Rainier right now as (laughs) well. Yeah. But, But I'm not happy about it. The so okay, we toasted to Shane Waldron. What I want to do for this podcast is we weren't able to do emergency podcasts this weekend. Look, we might have been we might have been staring at two consecutive days of emergency podcasts had you not been in the Midwest. So I want to make up for lost time. We've had a little bit more time to rationalize or whatever. You probably were rationalizing by the third quarter on Saturday night. Oh uh, look, the
1: if they just hadn't fallen behind. Oh, you yeah. know, so much 17 to three or whatever it was before they started to actually this revolutionary new offense called for the forward pass. You
0: probably were rationalizing by 11 PM central time,
1: but, <laughs> but. I, you, you may underestimate how late it was central time <laughs> or it was, we <laughs> well, were on Eastern at time. Eastern the time ASA, yeah. You traveled from central. It was 11 Eastern PM time, central, but central
0: time. But but I want to go through these two games, emergency podcast style, have the conversations we would have, knowing the information that we know now, obviously uh, about Clay Hilton, But no, knowing the information that we know now and that has come out of these games. But I want to I want to dive into this rather than doing our normal podcast style where we start and we talk about chicken or whatever. Let Let's get right into starting with the game on Saturday, and then I want to hear about your experience being at the game because that was the only positive that could have possibly come from it
1: i, I want to talk about the experience to, just a little bit in the context of the game itself because okay. everything about saturday was humbling humbling like the university of washington is a big college uh-huh. we have a lot of famous alumni and a successful football program yeah. it just it's like michigan is just on this whole fucking another level Like, oh, oh, it's cute. You have a 70,000 seat stadium that you sometimes fill? Great. We have a 109,000 seat stadium that is full every single week. Oh, you've got some, you know, famous actors who are alumni or things like that. James Earl Jones was an alumnus and narrates our intro video. And that features a president, Gerald Ford, who played for our football team. All right, fine. (laughs) You think, you know, you've got the greatest setting. We've got like, Like everyone was so invested in it. They were in their seats 20 minutes before the game for like the pregame band performance and the flyover. And it's just like watching the student section, which was not actually entirely full most of the game. There was like brief stretches where it might have gotten completely full. I don't know whether they're in class yet. I assume they are.
0: They everywhere except for the Pacific Northwest, they're in class. Everywhere except for the University of Washington, they're in class.
1: But it's like a sea of. They hand, hand out yellow pom poms, and it's just like a sea of those yellow pom poms, which actually make it extremely difficult to watch the game. But it is an incredible visual. I mean, like I knew it was going to be an experience, but even compared to what I expected, it blew me away. And obviously, the last humbling part of it was watching the University of Washington <laughs> football team against the University of Michigan football team.
0: Oh my God. Well, I, I guess. You know, you talked about we have thought about this over the over the summer where you're like in the south. It just means more like that's that's the slogan or whatever. But like it's true. And there are places throughout the country where football matters more. Right. In Texas, football matters more than it does in Seattle, Washington. In the southeast, college football in particular matters more than it does in Seattle, Washington. In the Midwest. Right. In in that that region that you're talking about. Right. Michigan and Ohio State matter a lot. There's no 107. I don't. I assume the Seahawks could sell out 107,000 seats every week, but mm. it depends be, how they were priced. Are those Michigan tickets priced pretty cheap or?
1: No, they are not. Yeah. Certainly not the seats. the. Good God.
0: Well, the most important thing is, you know, they're generating so much income that they're redirecting <laughs> it back to the yes, players. Of course. Um, that's what I really appreciate. 107,000. They're, they're making so much fucking money off those tickets. And just I, maybe it's straight to James Earl Jones to narrate. But you know what? <laughs> He's worth it. Every Everybody. Uh, so, look, I understand that it is, it's a, a different scope of what they're doing. But on the field, Michigan, you know, they've been a good team. Through this time period but you look at them apples to apples and the huskies have maybe had a better last decade than michigan has had right
1: right i'm not sure exactly what like the right cutoff is there in terms of because you know you go back a full decade and like there's some some middling late era sark years in there and early coach pete wasn't that great but certainly if you start in 2016 it's a better last five years than Michigan has had. Sure.
0: Whatever arbitrary timeline you want to set. There's no... The <laughs> Most greatest, arbitrary. If you Look, we understand the greatest NFL quarterback of all time did not go to UW, but like... The, well,
1: that's, that's one of the weird things though. Like, Brady is such an important part of everything they do. It's like, you know, he wasn't actually that good here, right? Doesn't matter. Like, he wasn't I mean, bad, but he wasn't that
0: good. Look, James Earl Jones wasn't Darth fucking Vader when he was at Michigan. Oh, well,
1: okay. That's fair.
0: But... But the the point that I was trying to make is the Husky program has been in a very solid place. You know, I think through a good chunk of the Sark era and in particular during the Chris, almost the entire Chris Peterson era and everything flipped in week one of this season. Right. I mean, you talked about how we would have gone into this game. The Huskies might have been favored or close to it had it not been for that Montana loss and the dominating performance that Michigan had against Western Michigan. By week two, that was not the case. It was a six and a half point game. And we knew going into that, look, if if I'd been in Vegas, like I'm going to be later this week, there would have been money on Michigan, right? (laughs) There was no doubt in my mind that they were covering that spread. It was a bonker spread going into it. And, you know, I think when we talked about that game, we said that we felt like the UW defense would play better than they did against Montana, which I, it's tough to say because it's a much more formidable foe. I still think the defense is not that bad. This offense is actually worse than we thought. This offense is possibly worse than the Western Michigan offense. This offense is oh, possibly worse. Possibly. Than,
1: no, definitely worse than the Western Michigan offense. It,
0: it is in conversation for the worst offense in the entire fucking country. What do I mean, you have to rationalize about this? Tell me, tell me what defense you have of this Husky football team after that performance against Michigan.
1: I, I mean, the one good news is that Dylan Morris was much more effective than he was against Montana. And if you're looking at a list of the Huskies' biggest problems in the Michigan game, quarterback play would be very low on that list. And quarterback play is generally the most important factor in the success of your football team. So that's the one mild positive, mild, not negative you can take from this game. I mean, the past defense was also very good, but that wasn't surprising.
0: What are the negatives that you would take away from this game?
1: Well, I mean, we, I mean look, John Donovan needs to be fired. He does not know what he was doing. He calls the (laughs) wrong plays at the wrong times. I mean, he was an unqualified. I think
0: you've ever talked about a coach on this podcast.
1: He was, uh, I don't know. I mean, he was an unqualified hire when he was hired. I mean, I do think people, I can't even remember the problem. Like This is the thing about offensive coordinators in college football. They just go so fast. I can't even remember who the coordinator, offensive coordinator was that everyone was so excited when he got fired when Jimmy Lake took over. Do you remember what this offensive coordinator's name was? Bush Hamden. Oh, there you go. Uh, We would like Bush Hamden being back would be such a massive improvement at this point. It's not even even funny. And there was that whole like, oh, that we don't want Kellen Moore as our offensive coordinator because it's more of the same with the Chris Peterson tree. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I think I'd go for that right now. I'd definitely take that. that.
0: Nobody was and Kellen Moore was not trying to come here to be the offensive coordinator. Sorry. Oh, it could be the offensive I think coordinator. Kellen Moore the, was trying to come here if he I, hadn't gotten the Dallas job. If okay, so you could be the offensive coordinator for the most important franchise in all of football, or or the highest-valued sports franchise on the face of the earth, or you could be the offensive coordinator for the University of Washington, a school well, that did not recruit you, a school that you never went to. What are Kellen Moore's allegiances to the University of Washington? He played under Chris Peterson, who happened to be the coach of Washington. Let's get over these fucking Kellen Moore dreams because it's it's fanciful. Kellen Moore is the no. head coach of the University of Washington or nothing. There's no Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. That's like saying I don't understand what this,
1: this rant has to do people. with anything. Kellen just, Moore was a candidate. He was the primary candidate. I he was the b- person they wanted to hire. And he w- obviously showed interest in it because they didn't hire anyone until Kellen Moore okay. accepted the Cowboys offensive and coordinator so- job. So just like whatever you're talking about, stop bye, talking about it. But bye. there was a segment of Husky fandom. You can deny this all I, you want. I, I, do not believe I, a segment I have the of tweets. Fandom. I replied to the tweets. Okay. Don't make me go find the fucking tweets. I but they are out want there. you to
0: go find the tweets.
1: You need to out the people who were
0: anti, who who thought that there was a better option than Kellen Moore out there. I mean, there might have been a better option than Kellen Moore out there. They sure didn't find it. He's offensive coordinating in sure. Oregon right now.
1: I mean, there was Joe Moorhead.
0: Joe Moorhead, who was definitely a person that was talked about when the Huskies ended up hiring John Odomen. I think they acted a little bit quicker. And look, maybe the issue is that they were waiting around too much for Kellen Moore and that they ended but up with John the, But I just It's not, not, not like believe... there was no other
1: candidates. Exactly. Like John Odomen was like...
0: A, a, He's not no, the last offensive coordinator on the face of the earth.
1: He wasn't even a position coach in the NFL, was he?
0: I think I, he was a like quarterback's coach.
1: Okay, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what would he have been in the NFL? <laughs> Quality control? I I don't know. I mean, look, he calls the wrong, like the fundamentals of what we know about what makes offense good. None of them are applied by the university of Washington football team. I mean, I, I just don't know what else okay. to tell you. So
0: we're talking a lot about John Donovan, but, and obviously John Donovan is not qualified to be the offensive coordinator of this team. Was, was it the two run plays on the, third and five, and fourth and four. Was that what finally did it?
1: (laughs) I think that probably broke me.
0: Those were... It was majestic, those two plays. And then so the commentator's like, well, he ran on third and five because they're setting up the fourth and four play. (laughs) And it was just like, then they run it again on fourth and four. With a team that
1: can't run the football whatsoever. They want to be... the, The things they want to be good at, they are the worst at.
0: It was when Ben tweeted that the Husky team is basically the Seahawks if they didn't have Russell Wilson, right? And that's that's kind of what it boils down to. It is saying this is going to be our strength without it being your strength,
1: right? And at least it's, the Seahawks like might have are pretty good at run blocking.
0: I don't even know how they're so bad at run blocking. It's
1: I, it's inexplicable. It's prepos- I mean, I. Ah it's hard to understand how it couldn't be coaching because exactly. they have a bunch of experienced offensive linemen who were good in the past. By the way, let me tell you, there was a few plays. I, I focused, focused in on Jackson
0: Kirkland. It wasn't great. It was okay. not great. Okay. So the most important thing a coach can do is putting their players in the best possible situations. Right. And it seems like fundamentally on offense at the very least, possibly on defense as well, what this Husky coaching staff does is putting their players in the worst possible situations for themselves, right? It is running into very heavy boxes, right? It's running directly up the gut into those boxes. It is, that is the worst thing you can do as a football coach is telegraph what you're going to do, tell another team what you're going to do, and then do that thing. Right, With no misdirection whatsoever. There's all sorts of things that are available to you to change that. You've chosen to do none of those. Right, You have said, here's what we're going to do, and then you do it. And you're unsuccessful at doing that, and you do it over and over again. Fundamentally, they are not putting these players on this Husky offense in the best possible situations. And we kind of saw it for a second when they started passing late in the game. Look, maybe Michigan had kind of given up at that point, but like when they started passing the ball and pushing the ball downfield, the run game opened up a little bit.
1: They did it? I, I guess with there, Giles no, Jackson?
0: There, there were some okay carries in there. There was at least one drive where there were some okay carries, where there was four or five yards. It wasn't one yard.
1: I mean, but, I don't remember them because they had 46 carry yards on 21 carries overall. I so I think there think can't there, have been there, too many. I think there was, there
0: was a drive in the third quarter where there was like a five and six yard carry for Richard Newton.
1: Okay. Yeah. Which, there was one drive. Yes.
0: Yeah, that's which true. I, I'm not saying is like, you know, we should build a statue or something, but like the, that is how, if you want to run the ball, you need to pass to run the ball. Right. You have yeah. to stretch the defense rather than doing it the other way around. And they're not putting, like, Dylan Dylan Morris looked worse in the game against Montana because he wasn't being put in the proper situation. The line looked worse because they weren't being put in the proper situation. If you're not going to put your offense in a position to succeed, they're not going to succeed. So every all these players who are hypothetically talented, if you put them in the worst possible situations, are not going to look talented.
1: I mean, the other thing, Like, I don't think that this would change anything because I do think it's more about the offensive line than it is about individual running backs. But the fact that we still haven't seen Sean McGrew or or Kamari Pleasant is mystifying. Like this whole like playing times earned his practice. Well, okay, sure. But we've seen the results in games. It's now a two-game sample. And the results almost could not possibly get any worse. Are Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant like intentionally fumbling in practice are they running <laughs> backwards the wrong way like i i just don't know what you could possibly be doing that could be worse than what we're seeing on the field right now no to to not even try it to not even put them in the game and it's not like it's a difference between that and the backup quarterback who i i want to be clear the problem here is not sam Hewart. i have nothing against sam Heard the problem is the way that people talk about sam huard the expectations that they create for sam Heward and the way that you know, he is inevitably going to struggle to meet those unfair, unrealistic expectations. It's all about the fans, not about Sam Heward individually. But this is different from a fresh, true freshman quarterback who has never played a snap of college football before. These are extremely experienced players, more experienced than the players who are currently playing. Yes.
0: I mean, the reality is they have, FBI-wise, the third worst offense in the entire country, uh, right? fifth worst. The fifth worst offense in the entire country. This is not the fifth least talented offense in the entire country. They're probably Actually, sixth at- worst. Arkansas
1: oh, State defense is fifth worst.
0: Offense, I said that.
1: Yeah, but I'm saying I I was oh, confusing okay. those okay. two in my head because so I they, knew that they, they were. The Huskies six- are 122 out of 127. Arkansas State on defense, 123 out of 127.
0: Okay, yes. So they have the six, but talent wise, they're probably a top 25 offense in the country.
1: Uh, I don't think they're a top 25 offense they're, in the country, oh, no. They're a
0: top 50 offense in the country, talent-wise. Yes. Yes. Like, especially because Dylan Morris wasn't like a walk-on quarterback, yeah. and that is your no, most but important player. They
1: the, have- the, the one thing that people need to remember about the quarterback recruiting rankings is that, understandably, like, all of the major conference quarterback recruits are four or five stars. Maybe there's a few three stars sprinkled in there because of the fact that that's the most important position.
0: They recruit linemen. Well, like they were,
1: they recruit
0: running backs. Well, like this is not a team that has a lack of talent on offense. I don't buy that. No. I mean, even if maybe they're not one of the 10 best offenses talent wise in the country, it's about the position that they're being put in though. And I think the reason that people are asking for Sam Hewitt is if you have the six worst offense in the, fucking country how can it get worse you only have six more spots to get worse so what is the most important position it's quarterback like the quarterback the time- again
1: is at the very bottom of the list of things that are wrong with UW right now it's pass defense quarterback those are the two bottom things maybe kicking game you could maybe say
0: oh punting is pay- pretty solid the punting
1: there is, is uh, the punt coverage has not been very good and there's been a lot about kicking the coverage most,
0: almost nothing wrong
1: but I'm, I'm more of a hang time fan than a distance fan. That's just, that's just me. That's just my, my personnel, my personal we're taste. The Reggie
0: show, right? <laughs> yes, uh, yes. But oh God, what was the dude? Uh, but the other Dick's thing here thing. is
1: if you're going to have a terrible season like this, why would you, if you think that Sam Hewitt is that good, why would you burn his red shirt season for this already lost season?
0: Well, if he's actually that good, he's only going to be here for three years anyway.
1: I, I just, again, that is an extremely it unrealistic is, expectation to put on any incoming freshman quarterback in the history of the sport. Here's here's the
0: reason that I do not think... That and Sam Heward is not
1: the number one recruit in the history of college football, guys. The, like The
0: reason that I do not think they should play Sam Heward is because I don't want to see Sam Heward in this offense. I don't want to see Sam Heward be put in such a bad situation that he looks bad. You know, like we talk about Nick Montana and... I'm not sure if I believe in this idea of objective talent. I think that there are certain paths that a player could go on when they reach school and there are certain positions that they could be put in. And there's probably a universe where Nick Montana was an NFL quarterback. You know, like I, am not sure if I just believe that obviously he was probably also overrated because of his last name, which ding, ding, ding. Uh, there, there's probably an element of yes, that. That's why I've
1: made the comparison.
0: There's probably an element of that for both of these players, but I want to see Sam Heward in a position where he's working with an offense that can help him succeed. Right? Like, and that's going to be better for him and his career going forward. If he comes out there and is destroyed for the next year, that's not going to be a good thing for Sam Heward. And so for me, it's why I'm still Wanting Dylan Morris to be the quarterback, almost as basically like a sacrifice. If we have to have John Donovan as the quarterback, let's not waste this. (laughs) John Donovan
1: is the quarterback. I don't know. Maybe better than offensive coordinator. I would
0: love to see John Donovan as the quarterback, but, and (laughs) pass behind this line. But just make sure the helmet doesn't break and he has to call his own He would call even more runs up the middle as fast as possible. But I, I want Sam Heward to be in a position to succeed not in a position to be playing for the worst offensive coordinator in the history of the University of Washington
1: but we've gone this far the offense as bad as it was wasn't the biggest problem I, I guess it probably was I mean you you're like I know objectively that passing offense is drastically more efficient than run offense even at the college level where the difference is not as extreme as it is at the NFL level but I understand viscerally, emotionally, why bad run defense bothers coaches so much because it is just enormously frustrating to see an opponent do the same thing over and over again and just feel powerless to stop it. And that's how it felt against the Michigan running game, uh, which brought up 342 yards, the most against UW since the 2011 Alamo Bowl against Baylor. Uh, that 2011 team managed to give up two, 400 plus rushing yards twice that season, including to Christian McCaffrey or not Christian McCaffrey to uh, Toby Gerhardt, I should say, at Stanford. Uh, they've allowed th- they allowed 300 plus rushing yards just twice in the Coach Pete era. I mean, now the thing is, Michigan offense only generated 3.9 yards per play because they were so ineffective offensively, and their their run game wasn't necessarily that prolific on a per play basis but it was the consistency of three to four yards four to five yards every single run that allowed them to just extend drives extend drives and keep marching down the field and And eventually score points
0: they put it away that way which is why we saw it i mean when when they came out of halftime there's an interview with jim harbaugh and they were like or they had talked about a conversation with jim harbaugh and it was like what do you plan on doing more of running your passing? He's like, I think we can do everything. And I was thinking in my head, I was like, Jim Harbaugh is going to run the fucking ball here. Of course. Right. That's what he does.
1: And I then, mean, that that 400 plus rushing yards in 2011 was against a Jim Harbaugh team.
0: And they talked about how similar it looked to those Stanford offenses. Like they're very frustrating offenses to deal with. If it's working, if it's not working, you get fucking Ohio State 6-3 or whatever. Like there are situations where that doesn't 6-3? work. You think they,
1: they only allowed six points against Ohio State?
0: There was a game that they had a handful of years ago, like three years ago, where it was just like the most brutal grinded out. Actually, that like
1: was, the 2011 team was not actually a Jim Harbaugh team. That was a David Shaw team. He, he was already. It's the, the same
0: thing. But I, I don't know if I'm pinpointing that as like the issue. At some point, I, the defense probably wore down a little bit and they just did it over and over and over again. It's the offense that's the problem. Like I, I, just don't know how you. I don't know
1: that, that I agree that the offense, the defense wore down. The run defense was bad from the start of the game. I, yeah, I don't agree with that at all. In fact, okay, but in the first half they managed the, the stop so at the one yard line. So you me the defense is also bad. Well, they're bad at run defense. The pass defense is outstanding. Like, K. McNamara with seven of fifteen for forty-four yards in a game that his team won easily. It is incredible. I just don't know. So where
0: do we go from here then? Right, like how much of this? I, I don't also, know the idea. Of-
1: it also was neither Toby Gerhardt nor Christian McCaffrey. Stephon Taylor with one thirty-eight. Tyler Gaffney, someone named Tyler Gaffney with one seventeen. Anthony Tyler Wilkerson. Gaffney? He was like the like twenty. He was like kind of a scat back type. Yeah. Anthony Wilkerson with ninety-three in that one. They had three running backs go for over ninety yards.
0: I hate Stanford. Um, for this very reason, because there's this they're, was that was
1: the game we were at, by the way,
0: in Stanford in Palo Alto. Yes, yeah, it was the worst day of my entire life. Uh, actually, it's quite lovely, beautiful, <laughs> great day. weather. Yeah, phenomenal October. Had it, we, we, had, we had in we and realized, out. Speaking of 6 3 performances the next day from the Seahawks, uh, that, but is, that is accurate. The I, I agree that it's frustrating. The most frustrating piece to me, though, is that what Michigan did to the Huskies is what Jimmy like fancies this Husky team. Yeah. And there's, there's no reality to that. There, yeah, there they're not is, good at the things they
1: want to be good at.
0: And they weren't last year. There wasn't a reality to it then either. They no, weren't were this
1: bad at running.
0: No, They weren't this bad, but they were bailed out in those comeback games by K Dotton often. Right? Like that is K Dotton yeah. is the bright was spot. You not, want to talk about it was not, it. His best, about.
1: it was not his best day on Saturday.
0: It was nobody's best day on Saturday, but you want to talk about if there's a bright. It might
1: have been Sunday. Terrell Bynum's best day. I don't. I don't. I don't have his career stats in front of me, but you know, five catches for 115 yards and a touchdown is pretty good. Wow,
0: I can't believe Terrell Bynum got there. And that's that's the piece also that is really frustrating to me is week one. I feel like you could take it and you could be like, well, they didn't have any receivers. By week two, I understand it's Michigan or whatever, but again, this is not a Michigan team. They weren't playing against Ohio State. They weren't playing against Alabama. This is an unranked Michigan team. They're probably better than that, but like they're not a legit national title contender at this point. You know? Like this was a very bad loss against a team that was unranked heading into the season. And there's basically nothing that went right in the game. Offense or defense. And they have they are fundamentally a backwards designed team. And that's, I think, what is the real issue. Why we talk about John Donovan needs to go. This, I just don't think it's necessarily all coming from John Donovan. It can't all
1: be John Donovan. No, I I mean, it's not like he's the difference between the 123rd best offense thus far. And again, your top 25 offense.
0: And this is a coach who wants to run that Stanford style, that Michigan style offense, but cannot do it.
1: Now, Kellen Moore would not have been a hire for that style of offense. I don't know that I think that Jimmy Lake is that one dimensional in what he wants. I mean, I think that there's an, you fit it into a narrative, you're confirming your priors.
0: You, you, all I have to do is consult with his hat to figure out what Jimmy Lake wants to do. Sorry, I, I, think I didn't, nobody Jimmy asked Lake, him to. Nobody you, asked him
1: to wear the hat. I think if Jimmy Lake knew what the hat was going to be taken for, he would never have worn the hat, just as Pete Carroll would not have said, you know, Russ was cooking yesterday and quickly retracted that as soon as he realized no, he had no, said He it.
0: was having fun with it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but God, we, we'll talk about the Seahawks in a second. I'm on a Pete Carroll high right now.
1: Well... Yeah, I think we're at the peak of the P. Carroll high.
0: <laughs> it's September. <laughs> no, no, there's sometimes that the Seahawks aren't good in September. This idea that the Seahawks always start hot is like kind of baffling. Because no, I don't. Like, no, that's not, but, that's
1: not the way I mean it. I mean, P. Carroll hasn't had made a single important fourth down decision yet <laughs> all season. Like, there was, I guess they, they did go for a fourth down at one point yesterday. But, like, it wasn't a super close game where it really mattered.
0: Pete is learning. I'm telling you right now. Pete is learning. Pete is looking around the world. Look, he might be the, the oldest coach in the NFL. He's looking around the world. We, and he's like, We got we to gotta save this.
1: I, <sighs> it's too good. We got to save this.
0: Well, there's somebody who's not learning, and that is John Donovan and Jimmy Lake. So seeing what happened at USC after the just – granted, Clay Helton was the head coach of USC for multiple seasons.
1: Seven seasons. This is his seventh season. It's actually kind
0: of wild that he's been the head coach for that long. He,
1: because it seems like he's been on the verge of getting fired that entire
0: time. I think he might have been fired a handful of times. Two or three. Yeah. This might be a, a, a Yogi Berra type situation. But the seeing what USC did after week two of the season and saying this isn't the right coach for our team. We know that in this moment.
1: I don't think this is, I just like, look, I don't know that saying, I think that I'm not have fired Clay not explicitly
0: saying about Jimmy Lake. We know in this moment that John Donovan is not the right offensive coordinator.
1: Yes. Th- but there's it,
0: no it, need to, to see through the entire season. Who's going to gonna waste-
1: promote to take over? Which of the position coaches are going to like, oh, oh, that that coach is there's ready to be an no offensive other coordinator. offensive
0: coordinator on earth. There's something sometimes you don't bring not, in an outside not,
1: offensive coordinator in season. It's not how it
0: sometimes works. it's not about being able to go find somebody who's better, it's about removing that person from the situation.
1: I mean, the other and thing is if you promote someone in season or in your hypothetical, bring in a new offensive coordinator and she entirely scrap the system in week two we and week th- ahead of week three, <laughs> that, was, if, that, if that, if that, why did they
0: let Clay Helton coach two games? If they were going to fire him after two games.
1: I mean, that's always the question when something like this happens. But then what, if, if USC you get week one, didn't they win? Yeah. Then I if you're baffling, if you get regression to the mean, the rest of the season, then you feel obligated to keep that person in the role. Even if they're not the most qualified person for that role, when you can run an actual for a search after the season with
0: John Donovan, right? They're going to, they're going to bounce back this week and they're going to play well against Arkansas state and they're, They're going to be people who are empowered by this that should not be, who are going to act like Montana didn't happen, who are going to act like Michigan didn't happen.
1: Well, I know who those are not going to be, and it's not going to be any of the fucking donors. I guarantee you that.
0: You think they're done? It's over? Yeah. Then why keep him?
1: Um, For the reason I just laid out. Okay. Run a full search after the season. Get the most qualified person then. Don't do it in week three.
0: So how much of that conversation, though, is if John Donovan is so clearly the most important things a coach can do, right, is bringing in the rest of the staff. And if I don't know if I would say that's the
1: most important thing a coach can do.
0: I, I believe that Jimmy Lake is a very good defensive coach. The secondary is obviously very good and he's extraordinarily good at coaching secondary. We don't have a full body of evidence that Jimmy Lake will be a good head coach.
1: No, of course not. And we don't have a body of evidence at all. He's coached seven, six games.
0: It's been it's been a pretty rough six you games. You know, this would be... I mean, sure, that's half a season. He, he has the worst loss in University of Washington history within those seven games. Six games.
1: I mean, before the worst loss in University of Washington history program probably belonged to a legendary coach.
0: Don James?
1: Well, the... In terms of biggest upsets, the Oregon State loss at home, yes.
0: (laughs) It's a Pac 12 loss. Come on. I mean, that
1: was the biggest. I think that was like the biggest upset by the point spread in college football history at that point or something like that.
0: What year was this? God, we're really just fucking going for it here in Washington. It was
1: 1985, which is the year the Huskies won the Orange Bowl, I believe. (laughs) Do you think it was the Orange Bowl this year? I do not think that it would be quite incredible if they did. It was the largest overcome point spread in college football history at the time. The Huskies were favored by 38 points. Wow.
0: And lost.
1: Since this game, there have been two games with a higher point spread upsets upsets. Uh, one of them, you know, who was the losing coach?
0: Was it Pete Carroll against Oregon state again?
1: No, it was Pete Carroll against Stanford and Jim Harbaugh in 2007. Oh Harbaugh's first season at Stanford. And then, uh, 2017, UNLV was a 45-point home favorite to Howard and lost. Wow,
0: that Harvard team was probably better than the point spread. They probably surprised some
1: people. I assume that they probably did. I don't remember a lot about the 2007 Stanford Tim.
0: <sighs> anyway, except it, except
1: that that was the year that wasn't no, that was the year that Toby Gerhardt ran all over. No, I guess not. That was 2009.
0: We're gonna find that Toby Gearhart year eventually.
1: <laughs> it's uh, 2009. We've narrowed it down. They the, went four and eight that year, three and six. And it five. was
0: right after they beat Pete Carroll on USC the next week.
1: <laughs> it all it all
0: circles back. The uh, after right, they, was, was they, that the, the week after they beat USC. No, after they, they went,
1: beat USC in 2007 or in 2009.
0: Yeah, then they went down to Stanford. They were like ranked number 25. Oh to yes, Toby yes, Gerhart. That's ran correct. All over them.
1: Yes. Uh, in 2007, the Stanford lost to Washington 27 nine. So, it was part of a four-game losing streak after that upset of USA. So they they actually were not a very good team.
0: It's just it's it's frustrating to watch the futility, and it's frustrating to watch just how little is being done on offense. And it kind of it left me a little bit shell shocked for the next day. And if we can transition to so you were in Ann Arbor. Was it humbling to be in Indianapolis, Indiana?
1: Not at all. No, it was, it was <laughs> like, like at all. the opposite. The it opposite was like... in you is empowering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is, I mean, the, Lucas, I've like in like a big stupid
0: dome here. We've got a beautiful stadium on the water. Not Lucas
1: Oil Field is a lovely stadium. I, I certainly prefer, you know, Lumen Field, uh, but it's, it was a great venue to watch the game. Had, Nice sight lines, despite being in the like middle level, these kind of three levels there, which was a little unusual. They've got a cool uh, kind of open area in the north end zone where I was able to meet third Pelton brother, Ben Baldwin during halftime. Wow. And we were just both gritted because we've spent eight months here thinking about what a Shane Waldron Seahawks offense could look like. And we didn't see any of it in the preseason, thankfully. And then they unveiled it in week one, and it was everything we hoped and dreamed it could be. Like, you, you can't take the W on it in week one. There's going to be adjustments. It's a can't long you win season. A
0: season in week one.
1: It's also that was Russell Wilson playing in a dome with the the roof closed, and we know about Russell Wilson and Dubs. Build the dome already, Seahawks the roof but again from a process standpoint everything the Seahawks did offensively was awesome
0: and I not everything worked either I think that was kind of my favorite part about it was there was still a lot of room to improve and those teams that you know you talked about the deep ball lock at the beginning of last season did they they obviously hit some nice deep balls but like
1: yeah one in particular yes
0: there was still it wasn't two in the, particular, I the guess. The ball to Lockett? Or and two. Yeah. That wasn't even that deep, right?
1: The the one against cover zero? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't that deep. But it was it was a moon ball from Russ. Like it oh. was a classic Russell Wilson oh. play. Like like he's been doing that for basically a decade now. First to Doug Baldwin, now to Tyler Lockett. Do not go cover zero against Russell Wilson.
0: It's but the, I they looked a little bit I want to say not uncomfortable. There were some things that looked a little bit clunky at times with this offense because they haven't run it that much. Yeah. And, and I think that was what was most exciting about this is look, we don't know how good the Colts are. I think there's a good chance that the Colts are extraordinarily bad, but we really don't know if they're, are they a 500 team? Are they a potential playoff team? Are they three and 14?
1: They're going to be extraordinarily bad defensively. I think they missed Xavier Rhodes in this game, which was an injury that snuck up on us. We didn't talk about it in the preview, but he got ruled out. And it was apparent that, like, their, their depth at corner beyond him was not very good. And that became a real issue. Because, you know, with a healthy Tyler Lockett, if you focus a lot of defensive attention on stopping DK Metcalf, you're, you're going to leave someone else open. Tyler
0: Lockett is too much. But seeing there was the one play that I think this was a run play in like the late first quarter, maybe early second quarter where they brought both, both DK and Tyler were to Russ's left and they brought them both through, right. They snapped it, brought them both through behind Russell Wilson and he handed it off to Chris Carson. And it was like, we're doing some shit right now. Right. Like there's some shit going on here where they're, they're putting it on tape also. Like, there are packages that they're going to run stuff off of this. And that is not something that they've done a ton of in the past. The misdirection that they were using. The most amazing thing to me about this is take note, Jim Harba. Take note, Jimmy Lake. The way to run the ball is by spreading the field, right? We fucking learned this. We saw this with Oregon, right? We've seen it for so many years. The way to run the ball is by spreading the field, is by motion. And I thought that was really the exciting part was how much this opened up for Chris Carson, this offense, like Pete Carroll got what he wanted in this game. They passed the ball a lot,
1: but Chris Carson situation in neutral situations, like their pass rate was in the bottom 10 Sunday.
0: It was, it was about the motion that was happening, which gave Chris Carson those holes. And that's going to keep happening. This isn't something where this isn't smoke and mirrors, right? This isn't you're getting lucky on hitting deep balls. This is a scheme, and I think that is what was so exciting to watch was we're we're at the the first step of this. Russ didn't look super super comfortable in it. Nobody looked super comfortable. Just I don't yet. know
1: that I agree with that. I don't. I think he did look super comfortable in there, it.
0: There were moments where I was like, Russ could have he could have done that slightly differently. Like there there was. There were a handful of times where everybody looked great, right? But it was like, this was this was the rudimentary version of it. There is another level of this. Maybe we saw it on Sunday night with the Rams. But there is another level of what they were trying to do that they haven't quite gotten to yet. And granted, this is in a dome. It's, it's the perfect condition for it. But they blocked pretty well, all things considered. They ran the ball well. They got Chris Carson into space there was almost no Chris Carson just ramming the ball into the line. And then the play of Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf in the second half. Incredible. Not to mention getting Gerald Everett, that tight end screen to Gerald Everett. Everybody's going every direction and they're finding Gerald Everett. That is something we have never seen, never seen in the Seahawks offense.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you were a believer in that Gerald Everett signing, like that, everything you hoped and expected again, it, came to fruition. It feels like one.
0: it could have, it felt schematic. Like Gerald Everett, we like Gerald Everett, but it felt like that could have been Will Disley. Maybe it could have even been Jacob hall Well, I think
1: the, the key is that he brings a certain greater level of athleticism to that position than those guys possibly could. But yes, it. I mean, Disley was a key part of the, the passing attack as well with three catches for 37 yards. I Everybody,
0: mean, right? Like they spread it around. Russ was spreading the ball around so much in this game. Yeah. And it, and it felt like, Ah, it was just it was a it was a beautiful thing to witness this offense that the Seahawks were running.
1: It really was. Now, now sometimes I wasn't the the one downside. You mentioned that Metcalf Lockett play where they were both kind of in, in like potential pitch options. I guess I don't I don't know exactly what was going on because I missed that play while I was stuck in line for concessions.
0: What were you getting? An old style?
1: <laughs> uh, not not an old style. I was I mean I was getting food because we had gotten so. Like to, to to take the listener behind the scenes. Uh game at in Ann Arbor ends like a little after 1130 30 or so. We got back to our hotel like 20 minutes outside of town.
0: This is Eastern?
1: Yes. Okay. Uh got back to the hotel about after 1230. Uh like made plans to meet at 7 30 in the morning to get hit the road to Indy. uh I wake up at 8.05 to a knock from my friend, Todd, who was who was uh, driving. Wow, uh, you slept through your alarm? Slept right through the alarm. Wow. You're lucky and, you made
0: it on the bus. <laughs>
1: yeah. They, they waited for me, thankfully. Uh, so we got there at like... We parked in India at like 1230, went directly to the game, didn't have any time to eat anything beforehand, so needed to get some food at some point. And so I figure after the Seahawks score their first touchdown, this is the perfect time. You know, there's going to be a timeout after the kickoff. You know, there's going to be a timeout because the first quarter is about to end. So I'm in line through both of those. There was a timeout after the Colts punted. Then there was a timeout on the Seahawks possession because I think Lockett left briefly the game. Yes, very, they were f- very scary. Yes. Matt and DK leaving briefly was also very scary. There were four total timeouts during the period where I was in line. I did not get my food until the Seahawks scored their touchdown. Wow. What were you getting? I mean, it it, it was not even well what it was getting. It was just like, by that point I was stuck because the line was never going to get any shorter than it had been when I got in line. And, I need a D.
0: Wow. Roasting the Indianapolis Colts uh, concessions. I've
1: got some serious questions about wow. their if concessions and passing efficiency.
0: I, I will tell you, I've been I, RIP to the taco time at Lumen Field, but you roll up to that taco time anytime. <laughs> Bam. Right there. Robbie Tonkin is there to hand you a free taco. I assume you <laughs> would do that for everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah. Not just, not just everybody podcasts, who the taco but... time
0: podcast. Robbie Tonkin's right there to give you a free taco and a beer. <laughs> Uh, But we would just waltz right up. There was nobody around. Maybe yes. that's why the Taco Time is R.I.P. At Lumen, Field. Lumen
1: Field concessions, though, in general, moving much faster than what? D- what Hidalgo. did you
0: go for, though? I'm just, I just had
1: like a side of fries because I didn't want to spoil my appetite completely. For
0: what? Hmm? Your appetite for what? What were you eating after that?
1: Well, I was eating in Chicago. I ended up eating in Chicago. I went to a Cuban later, place uh many hours later but you got to understand my limited ability to eat food mul- large amounts of food multiple times in a day
0: what types of beers do you think that did you look at all the beers well, i had, had a hand? beer
1: at the game we had would you have we had a uh space dust ips figured you're going with a seattle beer was the way to go wow look at anheuser Busch. but at the actual <laughs> concession stand i was at they just had bud and bud light so okay Todd Todd moved went to a different concession stand to get beer while I waited in line for food. And he was back in the seats by the, side the CX scored while I was stuck wow. waiting for the food.
0: The beer was faster. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking us behind the curtain. Yeah. Uh, the other piece though is I i was watching this game thinking about listening to Pete Carroll the next day on the coach's show. Oh, I, I missed like, it. Oh, I didn't even Carroll think about it today. Is gonna be so fucking hyped on this game. Oh, like P. Carroll's gonna be hyped and jacked on this game, right? Because it was everything that P. Carroll wanted to see. They spread the ball around, they ran the ball quite a bit. They, I mean, some, somehow a you,
1: comfortable you, victory, but the EPA per play wasn't like off the charts or anything. But you know what this looked like? What was that? It looked like the DVOA championship era of Seahawks offense. That is <laughs> except I mean, like it's it looks. It, it aesthetically looks different because now it's not the read option was like the dominant, you know, the, the crux of everything back then. And there wasn't a lot of that certainly anymore, but now it's all about the at snap motion, the before snap motion, things like that.
0: It's an incredible thing to see. But the other piece that I was excited about that I was like, P is going to be hyped on this was the defensive line <clears throat> at Ben Baldwin any person who did not believe in this defensive line.
1: I I let's not take it again. It's one week. Let's not take a victory lap against the, the Colts backup left tackle. Did you see Daryl Taylor?
0: Did you see Rasheem
1: Green? No, Daryl Taylor, I think, came off the, the right side or the, the, the left side on the defense, which is the right tackle. That was that was more impressive. That was more legit. Yes. When he
0: came in and hit Carson Wentz on that play, I was just like. It's over. It is over. Physically, you look at Daryl Taylor, he is different. Daryl Taylor is, he is long and he is lean. Like, I'm sorry, this man is going to be a fucking beast. You could just see it. You can see it and you can feel it. LJ Collier getting the healthy scratch going into this one, right? And you're like, he is out. That is how good this defensive line rotation is. This, uh, LJ Collier's played a lot of snaps for this team. They have got so many guys to put in there. And they were successful at it, right? They hounded Carson Wentz in this game. And granted, that's a thing we've done for years. And But it's been a while since it was Carson Wentz in a Frank Reich offense, at the very least.
1: I mean, this was one of Carson Wentz's best games ever against the Seahawks, without question. Probably his second best performance is he, no, he his didn't team's dropped actually to 0 5.
0: That badly, all things considered, but they still got home so much on the pass rush. They were hitting him, they were pressuring him, they were making him make plays.
1: And the secondary mostly held up. I mean, particularly Trey Flowers, like didn't get picked on. It was very exciting. I, I
0: really, I really love that this was Jamal Adams is everywhere when he plays, right? We're used to that. Jamal Adams is he was in on every play. And we know that about Jamal Adams now, right? We could see that he's going to be there whenever there's action happening. Jamal is there to clean it up, right? And it probably even ends up meaning that he has become overrated as a player because of that, because he flashes so much on your screen and in front of you. But this wasn't a flashy game from somebody like Jamal Adams, right? He made a lot of plays. He made those tackles to clean it up. Bobby Wagner didn't make any sort of flashy plays, right? Like this was coming. I mean, out. Adams
1: did have the, he forced the fumble, right? When when Wentz fumbled on fourth.
0: I think Jamal Adams was on the other side. I don't even think he made that play. Like Okay. I,
1: yeah. I mean, part I, of it is jumped, like. He
0: jumped over. He cleared the line right? And it was like, there was a turnover in this game, but it wasn't, it was on a fourth down play that they stopped. Yeah. Right. They, like that, that was a turnover, whether you want to consider it a turnover on downs or the actual fumble, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't a wasn't, defense
1: relying on turnovers.
0: It wasn't relying on turnovers. It wasn't relying just on Bobby Wagner. It wasn't relying just on Jamal Adams. There was new talent here. Jordan Brooks was in on these plays. Like we can see the future of the Seahawks defense right here. Like there, there was a carry Heider player too, you know, like
1: Ryan Monet.
0: Oh, taking up space.
1: Right? I mean, more than that,
0: making plays. This is this is a team that I, I can see why they are so excited about this defense. And I think they're taking what they had at the end of last season and starting in mid-season four. I and mean, Pete talked about that today. He said they are way ahead on defense from where they were at the beginning of last year, which (laughs) is pretty low. They were the Husky offense of defenses at the beginning of last year. But like, this is seeing what they did. They still went into Indianapolis, right? Like you look around, there were some impressive performances in the NFC West yesterday, but you look around the NFC West, one of which we'll be talking about
1: later because it came against the Seahawks next opponent.
0: And I think you have to say to yourself going into the situation that they went into, I think the Titans might be awful.
1: I think we might have been wrong with the Titans. It might be. We, Arthur, Arthur we weren't title. right about the wrong about the Titans. Some also of us took the over under.
0: I don't know. Apparently they forgot that play action exists, but seeing the Seahawks have play action on 50% of their plays, seeing the Seahawks stop what we could be a good Colts offense. They're not going to be top 10 in the league, but are they the 15th best offense in the league seeing them play pretty well against the team. There is nothing to not be excited about coming out of this game.
1: Well, there's one thing to be, not be excited about, which is the fact that, you know, I don't know if they've ever said specifically that D Eskridge had a concussion, but Penny Hart suffering a concussion in this game. And then Rashad Penny leaving with a calf injury that we know is going to sideline him next week. Pete Carroll said yes. already, I mean, that's the one, but I mean, you know, it's not, uh, there's not season-ending injuries in there, but that that is the one downside, especially because it you know the Eskridge injury in particular because it came on a play where he was doing exactly what you wanted to see from him. You know, he made a couple of plays on the fly, on the sweeps, and then also caught a pass. I mean, he looked like what we wanted to see. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, and like the the Cole Colts experience, Colts fans. They weren't even standing up on third downs on defense. Like the, the like How as much do you as
0: have a, a few hundred miles from Michigan, 107,000 fans, a few hundred miles away to Indianapolis. And they're not even standing on third
1: downs. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of overlap between
0: Michigan I'm just and saying, Indianapolis. Midwest football, right? Like this is a place that should be known for really, really caring about football, now, I think Todd said he been. What else has do been, they have? To, is the like, Conseco Fieldhouse right? Like if Larry Legend's there, now. they don't care.
1: Uh, I mean, you know, basketball just means more in Indiana. That's their thing that just means more. But I you now Todd said he had been to a Colts game when they were going well, and that it was it was a bit more of an animated crowd experience. Have they given it up on the summer. year?
0: This was it. They're done.
1: <laughs> Let me tell you, a lot of fans left very early. The two Colts fans next to us were like midway through the third quarter; and they were gone. Wow! So, I love
0: that. I love a demoralizing victory. I love how the Seahawks <laughs> feel coming. I mean, out. it was it was incredible.
1: Like, by the end, it was primarily Seahawks fans in the stands. Oh, it was a kind lot of loud. Seahawks. It was a little
0: bit loud on the yeah. broadcast. Yeah. God. I mean, it was game. a very
1: fun first Seahawks road experience. That's, what, that's what I'm
0: saying. I'm freaking high on Pete Carroll right now. Like,
1: I I mean. You know, off-season Pete Carroll, everything that happens between the end of the season and the start of the season, there is no NFL coach you would rather have than Pete Carroll. And like I said, nothing happened in terms of game management on Sunday that would cause you to question Pete Carroll. Now, I think when we get to like week 15, you might be singing a slightly different tune, but I brought along my copy of Win Forever and wrote it read it on the trip. Wow. So, yeah, I... Uh, I'm also writing this Pete Carroll high.
0: He does. Pete Carroll does things too, where you're looking at that, how they prepare to head East for these games. That was an issue under the Mike Holmgren teams. And now we do not think about a 10 a.m. start, right? It's not a dialogue. We're more scared of rain in Seattle (laughs) than we're scared of a 10 a.m. start.
1: Can they move like, you know, I mean, obviously – a, a great tragedy that forced, you know, at the hurricane that forced the New Orleans game to be moved to Jacksonville. But maybe the Seahawks should consider if they post a playoff game, playing it at 10 a.m. in the East Coast.
0: It's pretty incredible what it in does to pro- play, play, it and, play it play it at Lucas Oil Stadium if they don't make the playoffs. And you know the dialogue that he's having with the players, like Pete Carroll is he is a phenomenal coach. And we've seen this off season. a lot of people not showing up right a lot a lot of coaches not necessarily doing their part Pete Carroll has this team at tip-top shape right now at week one and Pete Carroll is a big proponent of your season is not made at week one and this is the I think this is the most complete Seahawks team we've seen at week one in
1: I don't know it's been a long
0: time they,
1: they dominated the Falcons last year
0: I said, did you hear the word that I said? Complete. This is the most complete Seahawks team.
1: I mean, the defensive weaknesses were not as evident until week two, right?
0: I think you should go look up some of those Matt Ryan numbers from week one.
1: You <laughs> should go look up some of the uh, why, why can Matt Schaub numbers from the previous season. Oh, God. Matt Schaub,
0: <laughs> Matt Schaub haunts us.
1: Uh, and yet we haunt Matt Schaub as well.
0: What did Matt Ryan go for in week one last year?
1: Uh 37 of 54 for 450 yards, two touchdowns and an interception.
0: 150 yards. If but 54
1: pass attempts is a lot.
0: Carson Wentz was not thrown for no 450 yards yesterday.
1: Well, that is that is very true. I all right. It, it probably was the most complete in a while. I'm sure if it we went the, back a few years, we could find one. But
0: Basically, the way that the Seahawks have gone is there was complete dominance for a handful of seasons. There was a fading of dominance. Then there were some bad seasons. There was a recommitment to the run, right? Period. Now we're in this, like, next generation. This is sort of the peak of this second generation of these Pete Carroll teams. And I think what he has built, what this team has built on offense and on defense, I was a little nervous going into the year. I think the only thing that can hold this team back is just how difficult the NFC West looks like it's going to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, we were watching the scoreboard obviously during this game and the highest scoring games were all the NFC West and then the Houston Texans somehow. And I have a lot of questions about how that happened. Uh San Francisco just marching on without Raheem Mostert uh, and without without Trey Sermon, who was inactive. Uh, the Cardinals just walloping a Tennessee team that's been a playoff team each of the last the two years. Yeah, I mean, it was impressive stuff. And then the Rams uh, had to wait until primetime. And the Mat- Matthew Stafford first game in Sean McVay offense, again, not going to take any victory laps in week one, but it was what you thought he might be capable of in that offense. I mean, it's in that offense might like be capable of with him.
0: After week one, you could say that these are four of the possibly 10 at, at the least best yeah. teams in the NFL, yeah, I think but that's maybe even reasonable. higher than that. Like,
1: like if you go by week one performance, yeah, they're higher than that. If you're like talking about, you know, adjusting preseason expectations for week one, I think top 10 is fair.
0: Nobody played a particularly difficult foe. I think Tennessee was probably the best team that anybody played. So we'll see as that happens. But like this was three victories on the road for the NFC West. This was three dominating victories on the road. You know, this wasn't like that, they weren't close games for the most part, seeing that. I think the Seahawks had the first point differential of anybody.
1: (laughs) And and their, their point differential was not exactly Mariners esque.
0: No, uh, I think that's the only thing that can hold this team back is it's just going to be, it's going to be a shootout in the NFC West. These teams are going to beat up on each other. And it's going to be pretty exciting to watch, you know, and how that played out. I feel like, you know, I've been all about this Cardinals. The Cardinals are wildly underrated. Uh, and then just seeing Kyler out there and seeing what they do.
1: Wait a second. San Francisco ended up with the weakest point differential. That that was actually because that game got close late.
0: We're looking for like small victories in the NFC West, which is the the lines kind of move the ball against the Niners, so that's the small victory that we have. Uh, But otherwise, and you're like, well, Stafford's probably not going to be completing sixty-four yard passes to Cooper Cup every week.
1: (laughs) I I would hope not.
0: uh, I just feel like. Coming out of that week one, there's everybody should be feeling very good. And I think each four of these teams look like potential Super Bowl contenders. And I think this is after week one, the Seahawks, the most legitimate Super Bowl contending team that they've had since potentially 2015 or so.
1: I suppose it's early.
0: It's early. A lot can happen. Look, we'll knock on wood right now. So much can happen. It really, you know, it comes down to injury luck, and we've seen it hit a couple of teams. But this is, is it's a complete team and a fairly deep team. And seeing them run a professional offense is, it's a majestic thing. Again, it just, it made the night before feel even worse. (laughs) To know that this is what an offense can look like. Like John Donovan can literally pull up the tape of the Seahawks game and be like, whoa, I can do that. For, I don't know why, like, is this stupid to think that, like, why don't coaches do that?
1: I mean, I think coaches understand philosophically that other teams are going to run different systems. I don't know that they're, but
0: why don't, if you're, if you're the coach of a team in college, why don't you be like, wow, the chiefs are running this offense. The Rams are running this offense. The Seahawks are running this offense. The Niners are running this offense. All of these teams that are successful in the NFL run a certain offense. Why am I not doing this? <laughs> like is this is it rocket science
1: I mean I think John Donovan would look at look Michigan is running an offense similar to what we want to run and they just dominated us with that offense (laughs) and
0: we gained one yard per carry with Richard Newton
1: so if we execute it the way that Michigan executes it then we can do the same thing or the way that Stanford (gasps) executed it back in the day and so on and so forth okay okay so no chicken this week and I gotta say we're talking disappointments of the weekend. This is up there. Cookies, you're on notice. What's going on? Wow.
0: Wow. We are putting cookie on notice. I am. I am. Okay. I like it.
1: Are you, do you want to explain the story?
0: Uh, I mean, I guess it's pretty much the same story. Just you went there. There was no chicken. There was no cookies. It was just closed. That's, that's the thing that is baffling to me. Right. So quality athletics is now trophy pizza. Yes. It is still a sports bar, right? Correct. How is a sports bar? Are you not open on an NFL Sunday, right? Like people are there to watch sports. My plan—I cookies was supposed to be open until five. I had seen that Quality Athletics posted that they were going to be open for the Seahawks, so I guess that meant that they were explicitly only open for the Seahawks and then closing after. My plan—I assumed they would stay open at least through the day games was to go get some chicken, to order. I called a handful of times, no answer. I, some red flags were waved. <laughs> but I carried on. I was like, you know what? It's probably so busy there that they're not answering the phone. Wow. I got the message. Ooh-wee! Like, I heard, I've heard that message so many times now because whenever <laughs> I try to go to cookies, they're never open. This is the number one fucking seed here, people. And so my plan was to order, order chicken, Sit and wait for that chicken, drink a beer of some kind, maybe a cool frosty rain here, and watch some football. And then none of the businesses were open on an NFL Sunday. I'm stuck listening on the fucking uh, 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 Westwood One broadcast to the Packers and Saints game. Oh, no.
1: That was the game that was on Westwood One. That's all I got.
0: That was it. I'll <laughs> tell you what. Oh, God, who was on the broadcast? There was some lineman from the Bears or something. who I, I really did not recognize his name. It was, like, not a recent player. Anyway, they think maybe Aaron Rodgers spent a little bit too much time trying out for Jeopardy and oh not no. practicing this offseason. Oh, no. Which I, I had to agree. <laughs> Jordan Love sounded like he looked really good, though. I'm gonna bet that on when the Browns and the Chiefs was happening, and if, I'm listening to Jordan Love in at the end of the fucking Packers game.
1: I was gonna say if you, you know, I believe in Aaron Rodgers regression to the mean, so if you have him in, in on your fantasy team, trade him to me. But also, Aaron Rodgers wasn't projected to be that good of a fantasy quarterback yeah, no, even prior to Sunday, course. so <laughs> I guess no, I guess actually not. Uh, now, eventually, this problem may be solved because Cookie's posted on Instagram last week. What? just got keys forever. hot oh. chicken and cold beer brick and mortar coming winter 2021 okay so they will be moving presumably from the pop-up at trophy pizza to their own location at some point soon here but hopefully before that they have some chicken we could actually get that chicken and continue the search man
0: it's been, it's been kind of tough i've tried
1: i know there's not a timeline anymore because we're not doing a live show on on saturday but uh to pick a winner, but at some point we'd like to have the chicken and keep this search going.
0: W and I, you're going to that wedding on Saturday, so we can't do an impromptu live show. Maybe pregame for the Seahawks on Sunday, depending on what time you fly in.
1: Um, a meetup?
0: <laughs> no, I don't know. You will meet up with <clears throat> Ben.
1: Uh, let's get to our Seattle sports roundup, starting with the Kraken, who opened. The Kraken community wow. ice plex in Northgate with an unofficial with some unofficial captain practices, which are no coaches. We just called those summer runs in the NBA, but captain's practices does sound kind of cooler and more formal uh, training camp set to begin September 23rd. So a little over a week away now from the Kraken taking the ice.
0: We're kind of we're kind of getting there like Oh, very much get in there it's hockey season all of a sudden like it's it's going to be upon us pretty soon here That all the you know the fanfare and the, the the spectacle that's happened this off season of them getting a team it's really nothing compared to actual hockey being played I think that's obviously it's when it's going to feel real but like I look at that calendar and I'm like damn like we're we're basically in the fall now you know we've cleared labor day it's football season i think i think season. this weekend's weather is
1: going to make it clear we're in the fall
0: now there's a chance of freaking thunder we'll talk about that in the, in the seahawks preview but russell i did not realize be, that might be touched by rain oh we no i have to fucking it was week two against the niners right where we had to go into the corridor because it was thunder i think that was week two
1: that wasn't we but yes because i was not there but yes that was week two we have no hot takes this week, but we just have a legitimate Mariners se- segment Hello. because they are in the thick of the wild card hunt. The spirit of '95 is alive. They climbed within one game of both wild card spots after back-to-back wins Wednesday and Friday, only to lose the Lex two against Arizona. But I, valid- I
0: actually first, first off, for the record, I'm going to be uh, on tour with Death Cab for Cutie this week, and I I, I came up with this too late, but. Uh, I need J.P. Crawford so much closer, and I will follow Mitch Haniger into the dark.
1: Do you think there's any chance at some point you and Ben Gibbard might discuss the Mariners?
0: Wow, I hadn't even thought about it. It's good <laughs> that I've like, been paying attention, just in case.
1: <laughs> Noted Mariners fan, Ben Gibbard. Uh, I'll be like be-
0: Stecken Rider. I know what's up. <laughs> I, I just learned Paul this. Paul, I'll be like, ah, Kellner's really
1: gonna put it together next year. But I, I actually did watch part of. Friday's game Wow, in Chicago uh, began the crucial series with a win over Boston on Monday night, leaving them two out of the second wild card at 78 66 behind those Red Sox and the New York Yankees who have some sort of a rivalry here, but three behind the red hot Toronto blue Jays who have surged from behind the Mariners all the way up into the top wild card spot. Wow.
0: That AL East is just, it's <laughs> NFC West like,
1: now, one reason they've done that is because they have a legitimately awesome run differential.
0: That's not, no, that's not why they've done it.
1: <laughs> okay, it's why we shouldn't have been be surprised. They actually have the best run, second best run differential in the AL at plus 174. Wow. The Mariners still cl- going along at a minus 56 after today's one run victory. Fangraphs playoff odds after that one up to 4%.
0: Fangraphs is is on notice, like cookies. (laughs) Oh, no. It's two games back midway through September. Come on, Fangraphs.
1: I think it's the the sheer number of teams involved, more than the number of games.
0: What are everybody else's playoff odds in that range?
1: Okay, I switched off this to go look up the uh, Blue Jays run differential because that's on a different page here. Uh, The A's are still slightly ahead of the Mariners' Half game back at 5%. Mariners Ooh. actually ticked up to 5% at some point here.
0: There we go. Uh, You're off notice fan graphs. Blue Jays,
1: 72%. Red Sox, 64%. Yankees,
0: 55%. So basically, those three teams are splitting all the percentages.
1: Yeah, it's it's most likely going to be two of the three ALS East teams, unless the spirit of 95 wow. is alive in Seattle. Uh, Seattle Sounders got a one nothing win returning to action Sunday against Minnesota United at home. And it was also a return for Stefan Fry back in goal Hello. for the first time in months and getting the clean sheet against the Loons as the Sounders remained atop the Western Conference, two points ahead of Sporting Kansas City with a match in hand and now three points up on Colorado, which does have a match in hand on this Sounders after the Rapids drew at the weekend Busy week ahead with the Sounders hosting the League's Cup semifinal against Santos Laguna on Tuesday night. Santos Laguna currently tied for sixth in the Liga MX Apertura with a 2-1-5 record. Uh, Then Saturday, Sounders headed to Salt Lake to take on RSL. RSL currently tied for the last playoff spot in the West with LAFC. O.L. Reign had a game scheduled last weekend. Did not play, but still got the full three points as their match Saturday against the Washington Spirit was canceled and awarded to the Reign via forfeit due to, quote, breaches of the league's medical protocols for COVID-19 by the Spirit. Meg Linahan of The Athletic repeated, reported that there were multiple breaches, and Stephen Goff of Washington Post reported that those included, quote, at least one player violating isolation requirements. Wow. Washington's previous match with Portland last weekend was postponed, but not forfeited due to previous COVID-19 spread on the roster. Those three points move the Reign into second in the NWSL standings. Three points ahead of the North Carolina Courage, who do have a match in hand. The Thorns are three points up with two matches in hand, including that postponed game against Washington. Rain off this weekend for the international break. Uh, Megan Rapino, who was spotted at the Met Gala. Wow on on uh, monday night won't join the u.s women's national team for the friendlies coming up due to a leg injury that has sidelined her the last two rain matches so the seattle storm some tough news i did on not Friday.
0: see megan rapinoe on, on the tweets
1: you check her out yeah she's out there okay uh, the Seattle Storm announced last Friday that Brianna Stewart would miss the final two games of the regular season and be reevaluated ahead of the playoffs. With they still didn't specify what her foot injury is that caused her to leave last Tuesday's win over the Washington Mystics without Stewart. A real tough night out of the office for the Storm. They were never competitive in a 21, 28-point loss Sunday in Los Angeles that kept the Sparks hopes alive for the eighth playoff spot. Uh, Storm shot just six of 27 from three, while the Sparks went six of 13. Reserve Epiphany prints the only Storm player to score more than seven points. Storm will have to regroup Friday for a crucial game against the Phoenix Mercury that will determine whether the Storm have to play two rounds of one game series to get to the best of five semifinals. They can no longer earn a top two seed in a double bye, and can only finish third if the Minnesota Lynx are upset in one of their final two games. Most likely Friday's game will determine which of Seattle and Phoenix finishes fourth and fifth. And the difference there is pretty crucial because if you're fourth, you get a single buy to the second round and host that second round. If you're fifth. You play the first round at home, and then if you win, have to play the, go on the road to play the second game. So uh, a very difficult road to the semifinals for the fifth seed. Uh, Storm would finish no lower than fourth with a win, but would need a three-team tie with Minnesota losing twice to avoid dropping to fifth if they lose to Phoenix on Friday.
0: Before we get into previewing the games this weekend, uh, you know we talked about your experiences being at the Big House and being underwhelmed in Indianapolis. Um. Want to know a little bit more about the experience overall? Though you went to friggin Wrigley Field, right? Again, yeah. What I want to know what food you ate. We have not talked about this. This is this is a real human being conversation here. Not even not even this is an online conversation.
1: Yeah, I guess I should have talked about the ch- the the food part of it in the cookies section because there was fried chicken.
0: We were too busy putting cookie on notice.
1: <laughs> we were. uh So I got. Got in Thursday night. Just uh, went to a nearby bar. I was staying with my friend Todd and and his wife, and uh, uh, someplace we could watch the game because the the season opener Thursday night football was on. Okay. By the time I got in, uh, Friday uh, met What some are we friends. drinking at the bar? What you know? Let's see. I had some. I had some. Oh, of yeah. go, you got to go to the, the notes. Because, you got to yeah. go to the notes here. I, I was excited. Up We're was, up here. There was one called uh, Bleacher Bum Pale Ale from Spiteful Brewing, and I was excited Spiteful about Brewing. that, but it, it turned out not to be very good.
0: Oh damn!
1: Then uh, had the Empirical Covalence Pale Ale that was better. Uh, Friday I had breakfast at a place called Yokes, uh, like which has a handful of locations, I think. There, that was quite good. And then uh, to, took the L train, took the red line up to Wrigley and, and met Todd there. And we went to a, a bar in like right field. And so we walk in and one of the very first people, like the very first person we see actually is one of our former coworkers at the Sonics Just who randomly. was making the, ex- no, yeah, no communication. Wow. Didn't have another, each other's numbers or anything. We got them afterwards. Uh, was making the exact same trip as us, except with the addition of, we went to the Cubs game on Friday. They did the double header. Wow. Went to the north side to see the Cubs and then went to the south side to see the White Sox play a night game. So they got in four games in three days. That's commitment. It Apparently, commitment that You don't have. Uh, so Wrigley Field, I mean, who definitely. The Giants. And it was the return back for Chris Bryant, a oh. uh, former World Series hero, league MVP who got traded to the Giants at the deadline which was very emotional for the Cubs fans and not at all emotional for <laughs> I me. I was actually
0: thinking today when I saw that the Giants had the best record in the league, I was like, who's on this fucking team? They've got a so. lot of good hitters. Like, you go
1: up and down that lineup and there's, like... I've, uh,
0: I've learned that Chris Bryant, apparently, is on the team.
1: Evan Longoria hits, like, eighth for them. Is he good? Seven, still, three. no
0: way. Like He's 40. not bad. Pushing up Carroll's age. Okay. He's
1: <laughs> not, not that far. Uh... Um. Yeah, so there were a few guys I had heard of on the Giants. There were no players I had heard of, maybe one <laughs> or two on the Cubs. It was a very, it's a very young roster now after the trades. Yeah.
0: Starlin Castro, Kerry Wood,
1: <laughs> more grace was at first base. <laughs> Sandberg, Sandberg uh, was playing second. Sean Dunstan. <laughs> Oh boy, Tuffy Rhodes and a bunch of home runs.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just love that it's always whenever we talk about any random baseball team, it's just like straight to
1: 1993. And <laughs> it's always the 93 baseball season. <laughs> just it is as it is in Griffey baseball.
0: In the beautiful world that is Ken Griffey baseball, it is permanently King in the 1993. that's League baseball. baseball. season season.
1: Uh, uh, so, walked around the stadium a little bit. I mean, what's incredible about it is just how small a stadium it is. And therefore how close you are anywhere. Basically uh, we had seats on the third baseline, like the very last row in the lower level, which was that's uh, your style. It, it worked. Yes. It's definitely, I didn't stay in the entire game though. That, that was the difference. <laughs> the <baseball game. laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Uh, there was a lot of stadium at the Michigan game, especially because the bleachers at Michigan Stadium are very tight together. It actually, that's, that's how you, oh it. yeah, yeah. That's how you pack in 109,000 people in a You're stadium. You're gonna want to
0: shove the coronavirus right in. Oh stadiums, no! Man.
1: So much vaping, so much vaping at Michigan Stadium. <sighs> oh, uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed that experience. I gotta say, I would probably rather go back and sit in the press box.
0: At the big house or at Ridley yeah. Field? Ever?
1: Yeah, I mean the press box at Ridley Field seems quite nice as well. But no, sitting in the stands as a fan was pretty fun there. And you know, did the you know got to see the uh, the take me out to the ball game during the seventh inning stretch? All the traditions there. It, I mean, it's random from game to game. It was like the host of the Cubs post game show did it on okay. Friday when we were there. And in Cubs tradition, they lost.
0: Oh wow! Okay. You're already, you're so ingrained in Cubs culture. You can joke about it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, any other food that you had on the trip that you thought was notable?
1: Uh, so the most notable thing I had for sure was, you know, I, I mentioned when I was there a couple of years ago that I went to Harold's chicken shack because that has become like famous Chicago fried chicken. But when I went, I'm pretty sure I had the chicken strips. Given my previous interests, so I I went back chicken. this time, uh-huh. uh, met met my uh, my NBA writer colleague Chris Herring of Sports Illustrated. Wow,
0: name dropping again. Okay.
1: Chicago native, and so I was planning to order like the the two piece dark or the half half chicken dark or whatever it is, and he pointed out to me that apparently the the thing to get there is actually the chicken wings. Oh, so that's what I ordered, and. Oh you know, I can't, I, like, I, I barely remember even it was only two year, two and a half years ago, but I barely remember when I went before, but like, they've got kind of a, it's actually a hot sauce. I think I ended up with a mild option, even though I was trying to get the hot, I may have been profiled in that regard, uh, but it's kind <laughs> of sweet, the sauce and it's on, it's on the wings, but also like, it comes with fries and bread and got on all of that. So you're, you're getting a little sauce on everything. It was, it was quite delicious. I enjoyed this experience much more at Harold's chicken shack. All right. So I don't, I don't know if it's competing with Seattle's best fried chicken, but you know, still very strong.
0: Did you get pizza at all? No pizza. Wow. Okay.
1: Decided like I could have gotten uh Jordanos, but uh, uh, I read the reviews that, I had the the Nate Duncan review was very negative on that as compared to Lou Malnati's and Pequods is the spot. That's what uh, the the Millers, third Pelton brother and third Pelton brothers, uh, Nate and Tyler they went to Pequods. And
0: you you didn't want to go there. Now so they didn't game to, also. To, yeah, what is their record in Husky road games?
1: <laughs> I I don't know for sure about like Tyler and, and Lexi and Alicia, but Nate's record in road games is. I may have it via text, but it's very bad. Like you guys were giving me shit about always the Huskies always losing when I go to games. But the last game I previously attended before this was the uh, Las Vegas Bowl, which was a comfortable UW win.
0: There's some games, too, that you've been to on the road, which were like the Huskies were favored, right? They they weren't. Well, the Colorado
1: game in 2019, which that one in particular Nate was also at.
0: Maybe just don't travel. (laughs) The Cubs lost. No. Seahawks offense looked perfect.
1: Seahawks were very good. They did not go to the Seahawks game. Oh, they didn't. No. So uh, one in ten was his record in UW games outside of Husky Stadium before. Yes, before that. Wow. So now it's one in eleven, I'm including when he actually like. 2. I I assume that includes when he worked for the UW program. So. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Anyway. Uh,
1: well, the Huskies Arkansas. will not be on the road yeah. this Saturday as they host Arkansas State. It's 16.5 favorites in this one, which guarantees a victory, right?
0: And and neither of us will be in attendance. That is true. What is the last time that there was a Husky game where neither of us were there?
1: I haven't missed one in a while, I don't think. So it's probably been a good amount of time. Because I feel like the only time I traveled for a wedding previously was Nate Duncan's, and that was when the Huskies were playing at... Uh, or not at Auburn, but Auburn in Atlanta. So Arkansas State comes in ranked 101st in the Sagarin rankings, which also include FCS teams. Montana, 92nd in those rankings, third among FCS teams.
0: Where did the Huskies rank?
1: Oh, I didn't even pay attention to that. I wasn't concerned with that. I just wanted to look at how scary they were relative to, no, definitely much higher than that. 43rd. Uh,
0: I'm gonna have to have a word with Jeff Sagrin.
1: <laughs> uh, Arkansas state defeated FCS central Arkansas 40 to 21 in their season opener. They gave Memphis a scare in a come from in a late comeback that produced a 55 50 loss last Saturday, Florida state transfer, James Blackman came in late in the third quarter and went 19 of 28 for 308 yards and four touchdowns in less than a full half. Two of those touchdowns coming in the final four minutes after starter Lane Hatcher had gone 23 of 38 for 276 yards. They threw for 584 yards total. They're two quarterbacks okay. against Memphis. You were just
0: asking me, <clears throat> who would the Huskies hire as their offensive coordinator?
1: <laughs> Do I need to How look up who the Arkansas Anybody State involved, involved in the Arkansas
0: State program. Uh, that's, that's more yards in that game than Dylan Morris has thrown for in his entire career.
1: Keith Heckendorf.
0: Let's bring it on. Heckendorf, <laughs> second rider. Let's get after it.
1: Uh, Jeff Foreman and Tevalence Hunt. I Keith Heckendorf
0: Hunt... is just as qualified for an offense coordinator job as John Onneman was. Uh,
1: probably, probably more so. Jeff Foreman and Tevalence Hunt combined for 17 catches for 321 yards and two touchdowns, including an 89-yard touchdown for Foreman and a 53-yarder for Hunt. Uh, Blackman that Florida state transfer at quarterback started the opener, but was replaced by Hatcher with the team down midway through the th- one midway through the third quarter. And Hatcher then went 12 of 12 for 150 yards as they came back to beat central Arkansas. So, uh, I mentioned they're the 123rd ranked defense against the UW's 122nd ranked offense in terms of ESPN football power index efficiencies. The, the other matchup does still favor UW is they're only 71st in efficiency on offense. UW 25th in defensive efficiency, despite their inability to contain the run. And UW has finally managed to, I guess there must be more than 127 teams ranked here. Now that I look at it, because apparently they're 132nd in, in special teams.
0: They're in so the charts.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they're so bad. They've, they've actually increased the number of teams. They, they're behind several FCS teams. No, that can't be right. There's 130 teams ranked, as Let me it turns just give out. you some
0: Keith Heckendorf information here. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: <laughs> Position coach, quarterbacks for North Carolina, when oh. Mitch Trubisky was their quarterback. This man got Mitchell Trubisky drafted in the top five right now. Do you think that John Donovan is going to get, he didn't get Trace McSorley drafted in the top five. Do you think that he's going to get Dylan Morris drafted in the top five?
1: I, I don't think so. By the way, I've got some bad news. I actually wrote that down. The 32nd in special teams efficiency. Okay. That's a, There's not 132 teams. Three-time uh, UW, Orlin UW, <laughs>
0: Hill Trophy finalist. That's <laughs> you, like the D2 equivalent of the Heisman Trophy. Is it? According to Wikipedia, it is. Well, there you go. Yeah. Huh. Again, where you, where did he play? St. Cloud University. <laughs> okay. He's a quarterback for St. Cloud State. Look, John, fucking John Donovan went to Johns Hopkins, right? Like we're not.
1: No, I mean, you don't expect players like Shane Waldron went to Tufts.
0: This is also no offense to Johns Hopkins University, a fine
1: institution. Of course, Uh, they are actually 32nd in special teams. So dramatically better than UW, which is 122nd in special teams. The other case place where they rank in the bottom 10 among all teams in FBI efficiency. How are they
0: not even good at that?
1: They weren't good at that last season either. Like offensively, they actually were decent last year. Special teams—they've been consistently bad. And here's a silver
0: lining: under the same coach and the same offense coordinator and the same program, they weren't even good at that last year. Well, that—that's you right now.
1: The special teams has nothing to do with John Donovan. I cannot I blame him for that.
0: I know you won't let me blame Jimmy Lake for anything yet, though. So
1: you can maybe blame him for that. <laughs> Uh, Seahawks on, oh, wait, we didn't do We're chances of victory. On. No, we should definitely do chances of victory because they are not, not, they're not 95, 97% or
0: 99%. You're like, we covered Keith Heckendorf. Um, <laughs> how bad the special teams are. I feel like we hit all the important points for this game. I mean, it's actually pretty incredible. That we can go into a game against Arkansas State and think to ourselves, there's maybe not a good chance that the Huskies lose, but there's a non-zero chance that they lose. I mean,
1: FBI has an 81% win probability against Arkansas State at home. Who oh boy.
0: I just, I, I don't know. Look, why don't we go with a 75% chance of it? <laughs>
1: I was going to be more optimistic than FBI. I'm just going 85%.
0: What has happened that has made you more optimistic than FBI? (laughs) Literally anything?
1: The 2020
0: season, I guess. That made you more optimistic? About beating
1: Arkansas State? The
0: 2020 season? I'm telling you, you're forgetting just how bad of a season it actually was. was. I'm telling you, that was the Seattle Mariners of
1: seasons. It was not the Seattle Mariners of seasons. It was, if the Mariners only played against, didn't get to play against any bad dudes. The if Mariners they only played the AL East, teams. I guess that is perhaps true. I don't, I don't know if
0: it's true. Did you see that record when they score four runs? They're like fucking 64 and like 17 or something. It's like, damn, the, the amount that the Mariners have to do to be a good team is so little.
1: Have they actually missed that closer that everyone was crying about at all? It doesn't no, seem like it.
0: Everybody loves Abraham Toro. I mean, that's, that's the thing is it's, it's proof that everything that all of the stories outside of sports that are not playing the sport are complete fucking horseshit. Oh, of course. <laughs> They're just like, oh, the locker room is so broken up about it that they've gotten better.
1: I mean, people keep asking Jimmy Lake about, "Do you have the leadership to get through this stretch?" It's like, what does that mean? Like, are they going to stop playing hard? It's football. It's not like it's a 162 game on, baseball hold on, hold on. season. There was, there was. We to stop I trying.
0: Saw. I want. To, I hope this is still up. Oh God, where is it? Oh man, there was a headline about Florida State where it's like, Florida State, despite Jacksonville State loss, you must the- carry on or whatever. And I was just like. <laughs> What are they gonna do? Like, <laughs> they've got a game scheduled the next week. Like, I don't think I don't, everyone's just gonna quit. Oh God, I want to find that headline. It's it's a way that. Oh, I here think- we go. Norvell Knowles won't quit after loss to FCS team. Like, no shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, what are the, <laughs> that is not at. Like, what are they gonna do? They're gonna play the games. <laughs> quit.
1: I'm like I mean there the program, were some teams last the year Florida
0: State University program will not fold despite <laughs> the loss to Jacksonville State.
1: I mean there were some teams last year during the pandemic that probably wisely so did just pack it up and stop playing mid-season
0: including the so. Huskies. They packed it up mid-season <laughs> it was, it said took to go home not by, uh, by their told choice. Nobody about it. They still have not reported what happened in those games but uh,
1: not by their choice. All not right, by let's, whose choice? It was to stop play.
0: Oh, yes. Florida State. I don't know. It was it was close there for a second.
1: Touch and go. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the Tennessee Titans, who had the second worst offensive EPA per play of any team in week one in a 38-13 home loss to Arizona. Also ranking in the bottom 10 on defense, which was an improvement from last year when they finished 29th in defensive DVOA, fourth, in offensive DVOA, uh, this was tough. To, uh, did you did you get any sense of it? flipping over to Red Zone during timeouts or anything? Not really.
0: I mean, they just looked bad. Like I don't. They were. I think. B- I think the sense that I got of it was they did not run almost any play action in this game. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because. We care a lot about offensive coordinators, and I think probably to a certain extent, we're right to care a lot about offensive coordinators, maybe more so now than almost any era of football ever. So people care a lot about Arthur Smith's loss in this game. It didn't make the Falcons good adding Arthur Smith, but losing Arthur Smith might have made the Titans bad.
1: I mean, this is the thing about week one is we never know what it really means. And oftentimes it doesn't mean that much. Uh, the listener will recall your famous comments about how, how good you thought the Bengals were going to be after week one in 2019, when they give the Seahawks a scare.
0: I'm telling you right now, I've been a Zach Taylor believer for a long time. And I'm taking the W right now. After the overtime win against the Vikings. It was a long con, but
1: you see those Bengals wide receivers Jamar Chase I'm very excited that I have him in multiple leagues
0: I mean that, that is a fucking receiving core Joe Burrow looks good people underrated this I actually my, my one takeaway even though I think some of the rookie quarterbacks played people feel pretty good about Mac Jones or whatever Jamar Chase played phenomenally well the amount that people think that rookies are going to impact a team's season is kind of absurd And I think we overvalue that in week one. Then you see the Jaguars, right? Like, are the Jaguars going to be the worst team in the league? Maybe, right? Like, I don't, I can't say for sure that they won't be. I mean, they lost badly
1: to the team. Everyone thought was going to be the worst team in the league. It's in the realm of possibility.
0: The amount that you're going to count on rookies playing is probably inverse to the success you're going to have in a season.
1: Well, good news for the Seahawks. They do not have many rookies to
0: play. No, I think, I think that's something we should be feeling very good about. Is I, I mean, Seahawks rookies
1: are, have contributed at times.
0: But they're a mostly veteran team. You want to have it in key positions is what I'm saying. Like, if, if you're going into a season... You mean saying, not running back? Sure, running back, who cares? But if you're going into a season and saying, this team is going to be good because they have a good new rookie quarterback, that is not a good approach to the season. Agreed. Especially an overvaluing preseason performance in the year 2021. when <laughs> preseason performance probably means less than anything that it ever has in the history of the preseason.
1: Yeah. Uh, so Tennessee was about equally bad passing in running. Ryan Tannehill finished 28th in the Dakota composite among quarterbacks with Sunday ahead of only, to your point, two rookie quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. After finishing third last year in both expected points out and per play and Dakota. Daniel was sacked six times and committed three turnovers, two fumbles, and an interception. His 18 QBR was his lowest in a game since his debut for the Titans in October 2019. Meanwhile, Derrick Henry's 58 yards on 17 carries was his lowest output since week four of last season, when he had 57 yards on 19 carries was hit eight times in the backfield in the first half per ESPN stats and info Uh, that that offensive line, a big concern for the Titans tackle play in particular, despite an inspirational return from beating not Hodgkin's lymphoma, right tackle, David Quisenberry probably stretched as a starter and left tackle tackle Taylor Lewan struggled coming off an ACL tear in his return. So this is possibly another situation where that Seahawks defensive line can load up.
0: We'll, we'll see on this one. I'm, I'm not. I, I think that the Seahawks are probably a significantly better team than the Titans are. I'm not taking that game to mean too much. I mean, you see, Chandler. I think team. offensive
1: line, you can take like that's that was not supposed to be a strength of theirs necessarily. This
0: is not the Seahawks against Carson Wentz, though. I'm going to approach this game against a Titans team that has been pretty good for the last two seasons with a high degree of caution.
1: Well, I mean, the one thing I think in particular that you expect to be better is the performance of A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. And,
0: and Tannehill. To, to me, Derrick well, Derek yeah, Henry, Henry is at the whim of everybody else. Like that Derrick Henry performance is yes.
1: But Brown and Jones, both in the top 10 in DVOL last year, Jones finished second, Brown eighth in their debut Together as a, as a tandem, they combined for seven catches in 14 targets for 78 yards. And journeyman Chester Rogers led the team with 62 receiving yards, playing as much as he did only because former Rams receiver Josh Reynolds was sidelined for that game, who would probably project as their slot receiver. Uh, the Titans defense, they uh, they spent heavily on that end after finishing 29th in DVOA last season, signing Edges Danico Autry and Bud Dupree and cornerback Janoris Jenkins. And the defense did pick off Kyler Murray and contain him on the ground, but also allowed 21 completions and 32 attempts for 289 yards and four touchdowns.
0: Wide open DeAndre Hopkins at various times. I guess that would that would be my takeaway from watching Red Zone is every time I look down, and I'm like, damn, they hit Christian Kirk deep and DeAndre Hopkins had nobody
1: around. The pass rush still generated just two sacks and three quarterback hits against Murray. Uh, Bradley McDougald, our old friend, got promoted to the 53-man roster on Monday after being elevated from the practice squad for the opener and then playing the majority of the snaps there, replacing starter Amani Hooker after Hooker suffered a foot injury in the game. Also saw Elijah Molden a lot serving as the nickel Uh corner for the Titans. One thing that I think in particular you look at is likely to regress to the mean for Tennessee. Third down luck went against them. They were 5 of 14 on offense, 7 of 13 for Arizona on the other end. Uh, also converted That's just one that of that their three difference fourth difference. downs.
0: So 5 of 14
1: to 7 of 14? 7 of 13. Yeah, it's, it's a notable difference. Worth noting that football outsiders was pessimistic about Tennessee before the season, projecting a yes. below 500 record on average. After the Titans outperformed their 14th ranked DVOA in terms of record last year, thanks to going seven and two in one score games.
0: And, and I think those are kind of going to approach this game under the assumption that the Titans offense is going to bounce back. I think it'll be a real, it's tough because I would love to see the Seahawks play against a team where we have proven success, right? Like, if the Seahawks defense plays well against this Titans offense, we'll say that the Titans offense is bad because they didn't play well against Arizona. Right. But, and then, I would, I would love a situation, and maybe we'll see this going, we will see this at some point going forward, where they're playing against a team where we, that is a known strength, not a historical strength. At the same time, I do not believe that this Titans defense can stop the Seahawks. And... I think they're comfortably going to put up 30-plus points in this game. You know, looking at that, what the Cardinals did to them with an offense that is relatively similar. You know, you look at the receivers having having quality receivers, having a quarterback, maybe not the kind of, like, speed and agility that Kyler Murray is bringing uh, in the rushing attack, but, like, a better scheme in general, just better players in general, and how comfortably they scored against that Titans defense on the road this offense is going to do work unless do you have the wonder weather underground up?
1: I have not pulled that up No. <laughs> no, good, good, good point here. You know, I,
0: people talk about an X factor going into the games. They're like, Oh, the X factor is always, then it's always like Derek Henry or some shit. I'll tell you what the X factor is right now.
1: Well, it's not looking good. The thunder is in Saturday's forecast at this point, but 0. 0.3 inches of rain on Sunday.
0: If it's a gloomy day in Seattle, it, look—it's spring. I feel or it's spring. It's it's early. It's still summer technically, right? It's week two. We don't often get days where it's just gloomy, where it's just gray all day, right? That's reserved for December, and that's when Russ is really bad. <laughs> there there will be some some hits yeah. or misses here. That's when
1: the Seahawks lose at home to the Cardinals.
0: Yeah, you you just you just schedule that in, pen that in, uh, but. That's the real X factor is what is the weather like? Can they do their shit? You know, can they talk their shit again in this game?
1: Also the real test for Shane Waldron.
0: I think the answer is yes. They'll be able to, because what they're relying on this game is different than what they've been relying on the past. It's not luck on deep balls. It's not run up the gut, run up the gut, hit a play action pass. I think this scheme holds up in any kind of weather. You're not relying on what you were relying on the past, which is uh, uh, run up the gut, run up the gut, deep ball, or whatever. Kind of hope you get lucky to a certain extent. This is about a greater picture. This is about motion and misdirection. And I think that even if Russell Wilson is touched by a rain, the scheme will win out and that the Seahawks have an 83% chance of victory.
1: 83? Wow.
0: You're not feeling it?
1: I don't know if I'm feeling 83. Like you're giving them a dramatically higher chance of winning than UW against Arkansas State. Absolutely. <laughs> what
0: have I seen from UW that makes me think they just lost to a team that was almost as bad as Arkansas State?
1: Regression to the mean is the thing the, that exists. The
0: Seahawks are playing against. I love that I just have cash in my hand. I'm going to go to <laughs> Vegas, put this all fucking down on Mitch Haniger, baby. Oh no! Jan gave me cash today And I was like sick I'm going to put that money down
1: On the Mariners <laughs> I mean you should put it down on the Seahawks If you think they're 83% to win Like the biggest odds Vegas. are going to be
0: a- I'm not going to be in Vegas to collect it I see It's all on that Mariners money line baby
1: I, I think that there's a sign That you have a gambling addiction And maybe to seek help Is that what you spent on baseball
0: What was the spread in the Husky game?
1: 16 and a half.
0: Okay. $50 on Arkansas State. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll mail the ticket back. I'm good.
1: No, we talked about AJ Brown and and Julio Jones. And I I don't know that I feel great about the matchup of the CX secondary against them. Like one thing, DJ Reed against size. He's going to have to be playing against bigger receivers throughout this game. Also, Trey Flowers against elite NFL wide receivers. Like, you're going to need to get pressure Trey, on Tanya.
0: Trey Flowers was not that... People are underrating Trey Flowers right now. Okay.
1: All right. Plays one game against Carson Wentz, and all of a sudden people are underrating
0: him. Zach, you said last week that Zach Pascal was good. It's like, Zach Pascal played pretty well. <laughs> he was the only Colts receiver who played well. <laughs> I love the idea that Zach Pascal played well, but AJ Brown and Julio Jones will be shut down by Trey Flowers and DJ Reed.
1: <laughs> Harris Campbell had one nice play, which was confusing because he was wearing number one, and I had no idea who oh it was God. at that
0: point. You know what? I, I don't like a more restrictive NFL, but actually go back to the previous jersey rules.
1: I, I had to inform Ben at halftime that DJ Reed was number two. He didn't know. Didn't know. Who did he think it was? Akala Witherspoon, Casey Williams. <laughs> I mean, it was very confusing. I, you know, I knew a lot about about a lot of the numbers, but I did not know that Benson Mayo was wearing number 10 and his, his third-party brother, Zach Whitman, tweeted, uh, very confusing when Paul Richardson was rushing off the edge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, I, I guess
0: quand- I... Quandre digs. I just, I can't, can't, I like it.
1: For some reason, the safety bothered me less than the corner wearing number two, and then the, especially the edge rusher wearing number 10. is not, That's just not an edge rusher number. Even Carlos Dunlap wearing number eight is more acceptable, I think, than that. Uh, I am going to say that the Seahawks' chances of victory are around 65%. So I guess if nothing else, we should wager against each other somehow for this game.
0: Wager against each other?
1: Yeah, there's some sort of, like, fair line here between the two of us. If you think the Seahawks are 83% to win, and I think they're 65. Either that or or someone can arbitrage and bet against both of us. Okay. You're really getting important texts at 1 a.m.? Jan.
0: (laughs) What? 1 a.m., Jan. Jan said... Did you hear you're supposed to update your iPhone ASAP? Don't ignore this. Ignore this information. It's not relevant to you. (laughs) I actually do have an iPhone. Did you hear you are supposed to update your Apple phone ASAP? There are hackers accessing photos and something else.
1: Well, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of photos on the the iPhone that I
0: have. Period. But if it would have been something else, dot, 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 it would have been more dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And your bank
1: accounts. Well, on that note.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Thanks.